Last week, uh, we started in chapter 8, and we saw Jesus teaching in the temple in that open air kind of courtyard near the treasury in the court of the women. And he started his whole teaching by saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So picture that, that word imagery there. The darkness is all around. And if you're following Jesus, you're following the light. You know, he will get you to where you need to go in, in life. He will illuminate what is true and what is good and right and worth finding. He will brighten your hard days, and he will make you able to see clearly in the dark nights. This is Christ that we are following. But remember, if anyone is following anything, you can't follow Christ and something else. You're either following the light or you are not. And if you are not, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 23, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Okay, so we, we want to be following the light. And so then after making these amazing statements, Jesus gets into this interaction with these Jewish uh, leaders and these Jewish people around him. Uh, and he spends about 22 verses trying to justify his authority and where he comes from. And, and because, the, because the darkness inside of most of these people is so dark, they can't hear him. They can't seem to understand him. And we'll see that it's not because Jesus is not a great communicator, right? Rather, these people are unable to hear him. In verse 30, we left off. It said that as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So now, uh, as we've already seen in this book, John has introduced us to this idea of this fickle faith, this uh, fickle unbelief, this unbelief and what it looks like. And, and even at the end of chapter 6, remember, Jesus had fed the 5,000, and then he declares himself to be the bread of life, where people must choose to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And many people... And it was a hard saying. It was a hard thing to hear, and many people left. And so what appeared to be faith in Christ really turned out to be faith in something else, maybe his ability to, to feed him and his supernatural powers, but it was not faith in the person of Christ. And here at Hope, we, we try and teach the Bible as truthfully and as close to the text as we can because, and we don't, we don't say this enough, but friends, we are at war. We are at war, not for our nation, but for our souls, for our minds, for what we believe to be true. Fickle faith is faith that is true to Christ until Christ says something that we don't like or until the cares of this world choke out belief, until something in front of us takes the place of something that is beyond us. Maybe the pain and suffering that we endure drives us to believe in the world's ability to, to cope with these things rather than Christ's ability to comfort us and heal us. So is there, is there a truth? The question is, is there a truth, something that is so true that these so-called believers were, were missing? Because by the end of our passage today, Jesus is going to have referred to these people who believed in him as slaves to sin, indifferent to Jesus' word, children of the devil, liars, and guilty of mob tactics, including attempting to murder the one who they supposedly believe. Okay, so what are they missing? So let's work through this text and try and find out. Uh, again, so we, we've talked about how Jesus is not really that interested in creating a large denomination, right? He's much more concerned about uh, uh, depth rather than width. He, he, he wants to create true authentic believers who understand that the stakes are really high. 
And Jesus has this way where he pushes into belief. He pushes into the belief of these people who claim to believe. Verse 31, starting, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And there's a lot to unpack here. I think you could, many, many sermons have been taught just on this passage. But the essence of what Jesus is laying out is, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word. And this word abide has been talked about over and over, but it, it means to remain, to stay, to reside. Jesus is saying that if you persevere in my word, you are my disciple. And if you are my disciple, then you will know the truth, and you will, that truth will set you free. And so the people who just said that they believe, Jesus is essentially saying, we'll see. We'll see. You know, and he's not, he's not making fun of their faith or, or discrediting it. He's saying, we'll see, because people who are my disciples who believe, those people, those are the people who will persevere and remain over time. And stay steadfast in my words, and those words that are true, and those words of truth will set them free. So we'll see. So the question then that should be asked is, free from what? And that's just what they ask in verse 33. We are offspring of Abraham, and you have never, we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And look at the language here. Jesus has told them, you're not free. He's saying, you're not free. Right? You can get free, but you're not free now. So they go back to this idea, this, this battle back and forth, this offspring of Abraham. Well, the offspring of Abraham, this is such a ridiculous statement for them to make because they've been enslaved by the, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, currently Rome. Maybe not slave, but they are definitely under the reign and rule of Rome. So what are the Jews talking about here? The Jews believe that freedom is found in the Torah, in the study of the Torah. We saw this earlier in John 5. John, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you, they have, you have eternal life. In one of the, the Jewish sacred writings, uh, one of these rabbinical writings, uh, it's translated the chapters of the fathers, a rabbi named uh, Rabbi Hakana. He said this, if one accepts upon himself the yoke of Torah, there is removed from him the yoke of sovereignty, the, the burden of the king and his officers, and the yoke of the, the, the Derek Eretz, which is the toil and tribulation of earning a livelihood. And it goes on to say that if, you, if the yoke of Torah is too much, then you put the yoke of sovereignty and the toil and the tribulation of earning a livelihood back onto you. Right? In other words, the Jews taught that freedom is found in the study of the Torah, the people of Abraham studying the law of Moses. That's where freedom is found. And it's freedom from what? From the government oppression, from the tyranny of being owned or having to work under this oppression. Like if you study the Torah, you don't have that problem. But Jesus is going to correct this idea. In 34, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus' words are showing that he's not talking about government or slavery or the toil that comes from working. He's saying, you practice sin, so you're a slave to sin. And, and, and friends, 
let me remind us lovingly that we are all at risk of being slaves to sin. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, so Jesus is speaking to everyone here. But just to be clear, he's not saying uh, if you sin at all. Right? He's not saying if you sin at all. He's saying if you make a practice of it, if you abide in your sin. Remember, we're talking about abiding in your word and the truth will set you free. If you abide in sin, you are a slave to sin. You're not free. You're believing that your sin, that's essentially what's happening is you're believing that your sin is going to set you free. But Jesus says that's not true. Your sin is enslaving you. That's not freedom. Freedom is, is hearing God's word through Christ repenting and being changed, being transformed. Freedom is found in following Christ and obeying his words. And he says there's a difference between being a slave and being a son. Okay, a, a slave has to leave the home. The son gets to stay. He gets to stay. If you're a slave to sin, you must leave. You cannot abide in Christ if you're a slave to sin. You can't stay where Christ dwells. You can't abide in Christ, if you're a slave to your sin. But if you follow, if you're a follower of Christ and you're free to stay, but it's only through the words of Christ that you can stay because Jesus is talking about spiritual freedom, not political, right? Spiritual freedom. And I, I, I do pray that many of us in here are not enslaved to sin right now, right? That there's not this, this sin that is just uh, uh, we're unrepentant of or we're a slave to, that we're practicing freely and regularly, that we're abiding in. But let me remind you, uh, even if you're not, again, this danger, because I wouldn't say this probably most of us. Most of us run the risk of, of falling into that trap rather than being in it. But let me read from Romans 7 here. This is the Apostle Paul, one that we all probably recognize as a spiritual giant. He says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Right? Can I get an amen there? Right? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? So we should all, like Paul, be realizing that when we want to do right, guess what? Evil is right there. Evil lies close at hand. So we must turn to Christ daily, hourly, following him as our light, because only by following him and abiding in him are we free. Otherwise, we are a slave or on our way to becoming one. We're either abiding in Christ or we're abiding somewhere else. 
So Jesus goes on to say in verse 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. The words I speak, Jesus says, it's it's what I've seen with my father, but you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus is a Jew, right? He's a Jew. He doesn't mention himself, though, as a descendant of Abraham, which is what the the Jews are probably expecting. He makes a distinction here, uh, not so much of, of physical lineage, but as spiritual lineage, Okay, there's a difference between being a Jew and being a follower of Yahweh, a difference between physical Israel and spiritual Israel. So let's see how Jesus handles their response. Verse 39, they answered him, him again, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Basically, these believers claim Abraham is their father, but Jesus says, if Abraham was your father, you would do the works that Abraham did. So, so what, did, what did Abraham do? Well, Genesis 15, 6 tells us that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And we know Abraham's faith did last. It wasn't fickle. He persevered. He continued believing God and doing what God asked. He, he believed God when, when he was told that he was going to have a son late, late into his life. He believed God and obeyed him when God told him to take his son Isaac and take a knife and put it through his heart. He believed God. He wasn't perfect, but he believed God. God spoke a promise to Abraham, and he trusted that God would see it through. And these people are hearing from God from a man who has heard truth from God directly. And they are trying to kill him. Or they're getting riled up. They will want to kill him. And that is not what Abraham did. And so he says, you're doing the works your father did, which probably confused the people. Jesus is going to make it very clear in just a minute. But it's about to get, <laughs> it's about to get real. Verse 41. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear my wor- to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you, why you do not hear them is because you are not of God. So they, they started out confused. They take the stab at Jesus, right? They, they know about this guy, right? Or born out of wedlock. And then they say, we, we weren't born of sexual immorality like some people we know, but we, uh, our father is God. And Jesus says, like he did with their Abraham claim, if God were your father, you'd love me, 
because I'm from God. I didn't come here on my own accord. God, your supposed father, he sent me. But you can't understand this because you cannot stand to hear my word. Other translations say you cannot accept this. Why? Because you are of your father, the devil. That's tough. That would be tough to hear from the creator of the universe, right? It doesn't stop there because then he says, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And look, you're seeking to kill me. He was a liar from the beginning. And look, you can't stand to hear the truth. Jesus says, which one of you convicts me of sin? What, what have I done to deserve this treatment? I haven't lied to you. Why don't you believe me? It's because you're not of God. Yet people who are of God hear the words of God. Friends, I, I really believe God is using these times in which we are a living to separate the wheat from the chaff. Okay, you're going to see people who you thought were believers go through things and it's going to reveal that they were not of God. You know, I, I, when, we, when we used to, to travel, we had all these like, groups of friends and bands that we would travel with and, and, and so many, so many of my old band friends that like, oh yeah, we, it went from like, oh, we're a Christian band to like, well, we're, we're Christians in a band to like, well, we just, we're just trying to make good art to, yeah, I'm divorced. I don't believe that there is a God because we've deconstructed our faith and da, 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 da. So many, and it's heartbreaking, these, just the, the trail of death that follows them. You're going to have friends and people you know talk about this, and David mentioned it last week, but this deconstructing of their faith and the, the arguments they give are all all fairly easily, refutably, biblically. And you're going to scratch your head as to why they aren't accepting God's word. And it's because they're not of God. They're not of God. It doesn't mean there's no hope for them, but they are not of God. You're going to have friends and people you've, you've known go through this. The people of God hear the words of God that are true, and they believe them. And they persevere in that belief, and they trust in the truth of God. This is why I said earlier, we are at war. We are at war. The stakes are high. The war is for our minds. And listen, the enemy is the best liar in the history of the world. So, so the lie looks a lot like the truth. Right? The lie looks a lot like the truth. So we have to abide in the word of God. We have to abide. These Jews cannot hear God's word. They want to kill Jesus and get this light away from them. So they can go back to living for themselves. Jesus won't have it. And of course, if, if someone says that your father is the devil and you claim Abraham is your father... You get a little incensed, and so in verse 48, they say, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered them, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, anyone who keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews are back on the attack, right? I want to stop and reiterate 
that these are the Jews that in verse 30, some, you know, 18 verses ago, believed in God. They believed him. John is writing this gospel so that we would believe, but he often does that through showing us unbelief. What does, uh, the, the truth, the lie looks a lot like the truth. Sometimes belief looks a lot like belief, and it ain't. So John is showing us what that looks like. Unbelief often masquerades as belief. And this isn't meant to scare us, friends. This is meant to educate us, to help us, to show us our tendency. Uh, if our tendency is to recoil when God shows up on the scene, when we need to examine our hearts. I loved what David said last week, how he pointed this out. When Adam and Eve sinned and God shows up, they recoil, they, they hide. Do we recoil? Do we push back when God confronts us about our faith? If so, we're acting in unbelief. We need to repent. We need to not do that. Yeah, Jesus is going to, he is the author and perfecter of your faith. He's going to shape and push and mold and cut away and trim and sanctify you. We should welcome that, right? Not that we, oh, come on, bring on the suffering because that's the only way I learn. That's not what he's doing. But he is shaping you. He is preparing you. And it's not because he is against you. It's because he is for you and because he loves you. We have to remember that. Okay, so these Jews ask this question that is aimed right at the heart of Christ. Jesus, are, you accu- are we accurate in saying that you're a Samaritan, that you have a demon? Probably what's going on here, the Jews are, are, are doing two kind of things. One, uh, the fact that Jesus is a Jew, and they know he's a Jew, but they, a Jew is questioning their parentage means that he must be siding with the enemy, They're the Samaritans. They, they could think of no greater enemy to side with than the Samaritans outside of maybe Rome. Because the, the Samaritans are full of shady lineage, right? Like, that's, that's, that's why they hate him so much. Two, because this accusation is so crazy, you must have a demon. There's no other explanation. They're essentially saying, you say our father is the devil? Well... You're one of the people that we hate, and your dad is the devil, so there. It's essentially, you know, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. Because they've run out of things to say against Christ. And Jesus simply responds, that I don't have a demon, I'm honoring my father. Here we go again, you're dishonoring my father because you're dishonoring me. I'm not after my glory. God is after my glory. If you follow me in the truth of my words, you'll never see death. So in 52, the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. And yet you say, if, you keep, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? They're mad, they're angry, they're confused, they're throwing insults. How can you say, if anyone keeps my word, they won't taste death? You're talking about people who died. Are you greater than these people who died? And Jesus is going to answer them. But I want, to, I want us to see, starting in the beginning of 8, Jesus has been funneling this argument to this moment, right? You, you, you disrespect the Father, so you disrespect the Son. You, you, you aren't hearing God's words because you're not hearing my words. And here we go, verse 54. If I glorify myself, I, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. 
If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus isn't after his own glory here. Again, he's saying, God is my father. God's glorifying me. You're saying he's your father, but you're a liar. Because the words I have, that I've spoken to you, there's no, you reject them. You say God is your father, but you don't keep his words. You are a liar. Okay? I keep his words. I'm not a liar. Very simple. And Jesus goes and brings the Abraham thing into it, right? Your father Abraham longed to see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. The Jews are perplexed. They say, you're not even 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Right? And there is this rabbinic tradition that God maybe revealed the future of the messianic age to Abraham, or even that Abraham was already in paradise and was looking at, at the works of Christ. But they aren't even mad necessarily that Jesus is talking about Abraham or, or Abraham's ability to see. They're, he's, they're mad because he's saying, my day. Abraham longed to see my day. All right, a day of the Lord when the sun comes down and, and from heaven to ransom his people. How could you see Abraham? And then Jesus lays it out as clearly as possible. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is saying, I didn't see Abraham. Abraham saw me. Abraham saw me because I am God. Before Abraham existed, I existed. Jesus has been the, the master of the debate here. He has done this masterful job of speaking both. And this is theologically speaking. I just think it's interesting. It's, it's in a Trinitarian way. He's, he's giving due to the Father and speaking of how the Jews dishonor the Father even though they say God is a Father, but they dishonor Him because they dishonor the Son, right? Like we're seeing that. But now he's, he's also saying you dishonor God because you're dishonoring me. I am God. And so they pick up stones to kill him. Robbie actually pointed this out to David, to me. Like, it's been very interesting to, to see this. But there is a big debate in John 8, end of 7, 8, about the, why is the stoning of the, the woman or the attempted stoning of the woman at the beginning of John 7, or end of John 7, beginning of John 8. The story starts with a, with a, a stoning story. And Jesus says, he, he calmly, they try and set him up to stone him, or to stone her. They catch the woman in the act of adultery, they bring her, and he says, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone, and they all walk away. But now they're ready to stone him, and I just think it's brilliant, because that's, it's basically Jesus saying, like, you're trying to set me up, you don't need to do that. I'm gonna make it very clear for you here in just a few minutes. Right? No more games. I am God. But of course, Jesus does escape because it's not his time. It is not his time yet. So, here we go. I mean, from here on out, Jesus is, is headed to the cross. We know that because we're on this side of history, but, but Jesus is headed towards the cross. It, it went from like a very public, I mean, a very private, it's not my time kind of ministry to middle of the temple, I'm God. So here we go. But as we close, we kind of wrap up John 8, and this, it's not even half the book, but this half of the book, as it were, I just want us to talk about Jesus. I want, I want us to, to 
reiterate what Jesus has said this whole time. And that, that if you don't get anything else this morning, hear this. Jesus, the Son of God, is God. Jesus, the Son of God, is God. If you don't get anything else, get that. Right? And what does it mean? It means that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in this person. Everything we need to know about God, we see in Christ. But why did he do this? Well, because he's God. God put on flesh. He incarnated. He condescended to his creation forever. Friends, he didn't put it on as a jacket, and then when he got to heaven, like, left the flesh at the door, right? He is in heaven now in bodily form forever. At some point in history, he went from, if you look at the Old Testament, he is the angel of Yahweh, and there's all these pre-incarnate, like, uh, appearances of Jesus. And at some point in history, he put on flesh, fully man, fully God, forever. Okay, and so this is who Christ still is to this day. But why? Why did he do this? We, we, uh, <laughs> I've got seven reasons. Seven reasons. And it's actually a list that uh, our professor, Dr. Burgraff, gave us, and I think it's a great list, so I'm just going to go through it because I thought, man, I was sitting there in class, like, not weeping, but, like, this is so good. <laughs> so good. And they're simple, but they're good. And so I'm going to give them to you all because I think this is so important. Why did Jesus incarnate? Why did he become a man? Okay, seven reasons. Here we go. One, to reveal God to us. Uh, Dr. Bookman said here that, that, that God perpendicularizes himself into history, right? He perpendicularizes himself into history to reveal himself to creation. And the person of Christ, he not only revealed himself, but he personalized himself to creation. The only way we can know about the Father is to know about the Son, Right? And so, so Jesus' whole point in the text this morning, if you, you knew God, you would know me. Okay? So he did it to reveal God to us too. He did it to provide an example for how to live our life. Through Christ, we have an example of how to respond when, when people revile us, when they criticize us. How do we pray? How do we discipline ourselves to spend time with the Father? All these things we see in the person of Christ. Number three, he did it to provide an effective sacrifice for our sins. Uh, I love actually how, how Dr. Burgraff says this. He says, without the incarnation, we would not have a savior. Right? Sin requires death for its payment. God does not die. God does not die. So the savior must be human in order to die. Right? God, could, God couldn't die, so he had to be a human to provide a human sacrifice. I think that's amazing. I think it's something that we need to try to wrap our head around. Number four, he did it to fulfill the Davidic covenant. Gabriel announced to Mary that her son would be given the throne of David. To have an occupant on a throne requires a human, right? But for him to reign forever, he must be God. So he would never die. So he must be God. Friends, Christ is going to return. He is going to sit down on a throne in Jerusalem. His feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives. He will come back the same way he left, just as it was said in the scripture, and he will reign forever on the throne of David. That's a promise, and he is going to fulfill it. Number five, he came to destroy the works of the enemy, to destroy the works of the devil. Multiple times upcoming in the book of John, uh, uh, he will refer to Satan as the prince of the world. Okay, Christ is coming 
He is coming and he is defeating the works of the devil in the arena in which the devil is operating. Right? right. Satan's not ransacking heaven. He's ransacking earth. Okay? He's causing havoc here. So Jesus came here to deal with it. Number six, to be a sympathetic high priest. Hebrews 4 tells us that our high priest is sympathetic because he has been tempted and tried in every way. God can't be tempted. God can't be tempted. So God uh, had to become man so that we could have a high priest that can feel our weaknesses. It was necessary for God to be like us. And finally, to be a qualified judge. John 5, and 27 told us that the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son. God became a man so that in judgment, to, to put down all excuses that we may have, all right? As God, he is perfectly just and true. So why, why, am, I, why am I even saying all these things, right? Like, heavy message, here's some Jesus things. Well, because it's important. It, it is important. The reality, this reality of Christ being God has ramifications to the knowledge of God, our, our salvation, our daily lives, our pressing needs into our future, right? And, and if we don't believe in Christ, it has ramifications on, on our knowledge of God, our salvation, our daily lives, our presenting needs, and our future, right? If we're not abiding in Christ, we're abiding in something else, if you're not abiding in Christ, you're left to figure out life apart from the one who gives it. You're, you're, you're left to seek comfort from something outside of the God of all comfort. And worst of all, you're under judgment of sin for the sins that you have committed against a holy God. And you're left outside of the covering of Christ who was crucified and resurrected. So if you're in here this morning and you are a follower of Christ, then, then praise God praise God. As David said last week, faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. What a blessing it is to hear the voice and the words of Christ and to know them and to follow them. But sometimes we act in unbelief, right? We act in unbelief. Maybe we, we doubt our salvation. We doubt the promises of God, the sufficiency of Christ's death and his resurrection. I'm, I know I'm guilty of this. Or, or maybe you're struggling and you're your family and your home with your kids or at work. You're just white-knuckling it, trying to figure out how to resolve conflicts outside of God's wisdom. Maybe you're concerned, like, how is God even going to provide for us over the coming weeks and months? But friends, God sent Christ, who is God, so that we would have peace and be comforted and to show us that he is perfectly able to care for everything we need. And he did all of this because he loves you. He loves you, the God of the universe, the triune God who has no beginning and no end, the Alpha, the Omega, the sovereign Lord of all, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He loves you. He loves you and he became a man and he died on the cross and rose again for you so that he could spend eternity with you. Praise God. And we're about to move into a time of celebrating that. I'm excited for Easter. In a couple weeks, we get to think of that specifically. But as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I just want to encourage you to take some time to thank God, to pray. I I believe, Lord, and and help me in areas where I don't believe. I believe. Help my unbelief in those areas where I'm, I'm acting, where my belief is weak. 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God. He loves you. Don't be like these Jews who, who believed only when it benefited them. All right, believe because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God. Let me pray. Lord, thank you again for our time this morning. Thank you again for your word that is our light in the darkness. God, you, the word became flesh. We, we abide in you, abide in your words. We have light. We follow the light. We, we, we follow the truth, and the truth sets us free. God, you sent Christ, who is God, to set us free. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you would help us to, to just be reminded that that is not of our works. That is nothing that we can do. We can't earn it. But because of Christ's death and resurrection, which we are soon to celebrate here, it is through that that we can have life and have it in abundance. And so, Jesus, I thank you. We pray in your name. Amen.